We'll commence our morning worship service this morning by turning to the psalm number 24. The earth belongs unto the Lord and all that it contains, the world that is inhabited and all that there remains. The psalm 24, standing together while we sing, please. Turning to the psalm number 43 for our scripture reading in these consecutive psalms that we read together each Lord's Day morning. As we often say, let us never take the reading of the Word of God as a mere ritual. As we turn to read God's Word, it is His revealed Word. It's His truth. So let us pray that God will even bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Psalm 43, <clears throat> and commencing to read at the verse 1. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Who send out thy light and thy truth? Let them lead me. Let them bring unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. 
Then will I go on to the altar of God, and unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the healeth who is the healeth of my countenance and my God. May the Lord bless these words. The psalmist asked the question, why art thou cast down? No one knows the burdens you bear this morning. No one knows the difficulties that you've come through this week. But you can hope in God. You can hope in the one who has said he is the one who healeth my countenance. Let's pray as we come to the one who is our God. Let us all pray. Our loving and eternal Father in heaven, we wait on in thy presence in the all-precious and prevailing name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee this morning that we come in no merit of our own, for we have none. But we thank Thee for that imputed righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us and received by faith alone. And therefore, standing alone upon the merit of the Savior, pleading alone His righteousness, coming in acceptance because of Him, we come with reverence into Thy holy presence. And our loving Father, the desire of our hearts this day is that in all that we say and do, we would be brought to see afresh the one who is our God. We pray that we might enter into thy courts with joy, that we might enter into thy courts with praise and thanksgiving upon our hearts for all of thy goodness to us, for every grace that thou hast bestowed upon us, for every temporal mercy that thou hast extended towards us but above all the temporal blessings. We thank Thee this day for all those blessings that are ours in Christ. We thank Thee today for the plan of redemption. We thank Thee this day for the sending of Thy only begotten Son into this world. And we thank Thee that we can rejoice this day in a salvation that is complete, in a redemption that is full, and we thank Thee that the Savior, while upon that cross cried, it is finished. The work is complete. And we can say with the hymn writer, I need no other argument, I want no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and that He died for me. And so, our loving Father, as we draw aside into Thy presence this day, as we come into the house of God, we desire that we would have a sense of Your presence. We thank Thee for all who've come. We thank Thee for each one, each individual, each family who has gathered in the house of God today. But, oh, we would say with Hagar, Thou, God, seest me. Thou to see us in all our need. Thou to see us in all the circumstances of life and where we are this very day. And so, our loving Father, we pray that Thou will come and meet each one of us at the very point of that need. Oh, may none of us leave this place without having that assurance in our hearts that we've had spent time in Thy presence. We have heard Thy voice. We have been in that place of having sweet communion with Thee. We thank Thee we can have fellowship with the people of God. We can have fellowship with one another, and we thank Thee for each of our brethren and sisters in this congregation and this fellowship. But above all of that today in our hearts we desire that we would meet with Thee, that there would be a very definite meeting in our souls with the one who is our Savior, the one who is our Lord, the one who is our King. And so for these moments now, bless our coming together. We're not unmindful of those who cannot be with us. We think of those laid aside because of circumstances and they're unable to be in the house of God today. We pray that thou will bless them. We pray that thou will be their portion. And Lord, if they're tuning in, if they're listening in, we pray, Lord, that Thou will bless 
even this service and thy word to their hearts. We think of those who mourn. We pray for those families that have been bereaved. We think of the Fenton family this morning. We pray, Lord, that in the midst of their sorrow, thou will draw strangely near. We pray that in the midst of the home, the, the sudden and the sad passing of a loved one, that thou will be pleased to speak to all and comfort. And may they know the, the God of all grace and the God of all comfort. We pray, Lord, for the Taggart family. We pray that thou will undertake for them in their sorrow. And O oh, loving Father, we pray that somewhere in the shadows they will find the Savior. They'll find the one who knows and understands and that thou will be their portion even in this time of sorrow. Loving Father, we pray for those who've gone to the land of Romania. We pray that thou will undertake for them. May this be a day of blessing as they minister thy word. And as they would soon journey home, we pray that thou will bring them home in safety. And may they come home in the power and the blessing of God being their portion. So, loving Father, continue with us now. Be with us in the singing of thy praise and in the reading and the preaching of thy word. And in all things may Christ have the preeminence. We pray and ask these things in the Savior's name. Amen. Amen. The hymn 342, The King of Love, my shepherd is, whose goodness never faileth. I nothing like if I am his, and he is mine forever. Standing again while we sing, please. Let's all stand while we sing. We bid you welcome in the Saviour's name to our morning worship service. We trust and pray that as we've come together to worship God this day that we'll know something 
of his presence and his blessing. We welcome those also joining us on Sermon Audio on Facebook and YouTube. And if you're a visitor in the building, and I know we have some, it's good to see Arlene and Ewell with us. It's good to see David back with us this morning. And we continue to remember him. Uh, the Lord will continue to lay his healing hand upon him. And to others, others who have in recent times suffered bereavement, uh, we continue to remember you in prayer. And the Lord will bless you and that the Lord will be your portion. We remember the evening gospel service this evening at 7 p.m. when our sister Rebecca Park will minister in song and the preacher will be our good friend and brother, Pastor Dennis Lyle. Come and encourage God's servant and be in God's house on this his day. Monday uh, sees the Hebron Tots at 10 a.m. Do you remember that ministry and that work amongst the little ones? Tuesday at 7 p.m. is the Youth Challenge. And again, we encourage you to remember this work so vital amongst our young people. And remember Brother Andrew and all the team that works there diligently week by week as they reach out to the youth of our town. Tuesday is the mission team will return from Romania. Do remember them as they've gone to be in Romania during this week. And they've been in Timisoara already this morning. And do pray for them as they would return home that the Lord will give them safe passage back to us again. Wednesday, we have the harvest service at 10 a.m. for our Christian school. And if you can come and encourage uh, those involved in the work of the school, uh, you'll be made most welcome uh, to the harvest service in the Carson complex at 10 a.m. And then at 8 p.m., there is a school management committee, and that's for all the members of the Christian school committee. Thursday evening is our midweek service when we meet for our time of prayer and Bible study. And there will be reports from the mission team about the visit to Romania. The Reverend Park is preaching in Newton Ards and a special prayer for missionary work and revival will also take place. Friday evening, we have the Youth Fellowship when Reverend Park will speak to the Youth Fellowship at 8 p.m. Services next Lord's Day, the early morning time of prayer uh, at 8 a.m. Sunday school at 10.30. Bible class at 10.45. We continue our series, Answers for Perilous Times, studies in Acts chapter 17. And we want to deal with the subject next Lord's Day, refuting racism. And so I trust you'll remember us as we deal with that issue in the Bible class. The morning worship service is at 12 noon when, uh, Lord willing, our own minister, Reverend Park, uh, will be here. No one misses him more than I do this morning. Uh, and uh, we miss our pastor when he's not here. And you miss him all the more if you have to come and minister uh, in his absence. But we trust you'll remember our dear brother as he returns to take up the preaching of God's word next Lord's Day. The evening gospel service, 7 p.m., of course, preceded by the time of prayer at 6.30. And also remember that time of prayer tonight uh, before the evening service. There are those who we want you to continue to remember in prayer uh, at the throne of grace. We add to the list today our brother James and Sally Lane. James and Sally were involved in an accident just last week. Thankfully, uh, they sustained no serious injuries, but it has uh, shaken them. And so I trust you'll remember uh, this dear couple in the Lord, that the Lord will just be with them at this time. Our brother James Wallace, uh, continue to remember him, and brother Peter Moy, and those others that are there on our prayer list. Also remember our sister Hazel Fenton. Uh, Hazel, uh, sadly, had the passing of her husband Trevor in the week that's passed. Do you remember that family today? Funeral service will take place from the home in Benachi to the cemetery across the way at 2 p.m. And so it's not my intention. You'll be glad to know not to go to the door so that those that want to attend that service can do so. Do you remember Hazel and the family at this time of sorrow? 
And also remember this morning the Taggart family. You may have heard already on the news that sadly there was a house fire in our town on the early hours of Saturday morning. And Mr. Bert Taggart sadly lost his life. And to his dear wife and the family, we extend our sincere sympathy. And we trust that this time they will know God to be very near to them and God to be their portion. We continue to remember the situation in Ukraine and our brethren and sisters who are with us and the Lord will intervene. And of course, in remembering Ukraine, we also remember the situation in Israel. How sad to see so many lives are being lost. And do pray for the peace of Jerusalem and pray that God will intervene in these very dark and very dangerous days. We're going to lift our tithe and offering for the Lord's work. Also remember that today is the retiring offering for our Christian school. We'll remain seated for the opening verses of the hymn, uh, the hymn 218. Lift up ye heads, ye mighty gates. Behold, the King of glory waits. The King of kings is drawing near. The Savior of the world is here. Remaining seated while we sing, please, these opening verses. Scripture reading this morning is taken from the Psalm number 24. 
read the psalm together and then a few verses over in Second Samuel chapter 6. My brother Clifford had to come up and put batteries, not in me, but in uh, my sound equipment. Now, don't panic. That doesn't mean I'm going to preach any longer. Uh, but you need power. But we need the power of the Holy Ghost, not just the power that comes from the batteries. But pray the Lord will grant us that as well. Psalm 24. And the verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. The King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up. Ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Then over to Second Samuel and the chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6, and we'll just read a few verses from verse 11. Second Samuel chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 11. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him, because the ark of God, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they bare the ark of the Lord gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings, and David danced before the Lord and all his, with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place, in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end, of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Amen. And we know that the Lord will bless the public reading of his infallible word to all of our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just stand for a word of prayer. Let's all stand to our feet. <clears throat> Let's all pray. Loving Father, we thank Thee and praise Thee for the opportunity again to turn to Thy precious Word. And we're very conscious that without Thee we can do nothing. And our loving Father, as we have said, we desire above all things that we would know the power of God the Holy Spirit. I am trusting Thee for power. Thine can never fail words that thou thyself must give, must, and praise God shall prevail. Give prevailing words now, we pray, for we ask these things in the Savior's name. Amen. Amen. If you were to visit this building, which is in the town of Bury St. Edmunds, which Christian and I had the opportunity to do just last weekend, 
This is the, what's known as the Corn Exchange building in that town. You will see engraved upon the words at the top of the building, the words of verse 1 of the text that we read at the commencement of the reading of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Indeed, if you were to go to this building, it's the Royal Exchange in the city of London, you will find that also the same text is engraved upon that building. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's a reflection, sadly, of a former day when those who erected such buildings were not afraid to have a biblical text engraved on their property. You can imagine the outcry there would be today if there was to be a public building that was to be erected and it was even suggested that the Word of God should be placed upon such a building. But it was so in the days when those two particular buildings were erected. When I saw that text, I was challenged in my own heart concerning the glorious truth that's contained in those words, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so when we had opportunity, we read together that psalm, the Psalm 24, and it was a blessing to my heart. And then we were informed that we were coming this morning to take the service, and we have spent this week just meditating upon these words. And I want in the concluding moments to take up this subject, taken up with the King of glory. You know, when we come to the house of God, it's very easy to be taken up with others. It's very easy to be taken up with our circumstances. It's very easy to be taken up with all that goes on around us, and in many cases, rightly so. But the desire of our hearts for these concluding moments as we come into the house of God is that we might be taken up with the one who is the theme of this psalm, the one of whom the psalmist David in those concluding verses that we'll come to, the one who is called the King of glory. And the desire of my heart this day is not that I would deliver a sermon or I would deliver a message, but all the desire of our hearts this morning is that we might see the one who is the King of glory in all his beauty, in all his majesty, and in all his power. And so I want us to think about this psalm, the Psalm 24. This psalm comes just in passing at the end of, of a trilogy of psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24. And we could spend so much time thinking about those three psalms. We all know Psalm 23, but Psalm 22 is, of course, the psalm of the Savior, and it deals with the cross. Psalm 23 is the psalm of the shepherd, and it deals with the crook. Psalm 24 is the psalm of the sovereign, and it deals with the crown. And it's that psalm that I want us to consider this morning. This psalm is attributed, as we have said, to the psalmist David. You see that in the title. It says, a psalm of David, and it's believed to have been written at that particular time when there was the return of the Ark of the Covenant to the city of Jerusalem. That's the reason why we read together those verses in 2 Samuel chapter 6. For many years, some would say even as many as 50 years, the ark had been absent from the city of Jerusalem. The ark had not been present in the place of worship. That ark that represented the very presence of God. That ark that represented the very presence of the triune God. It had been absent from the place of worship. Oh, oh, how sad it is that it's possible to meet and to go through ritual and to go through routine, but not to know the abiding presence of God in the midst. David has now become the king. David now is upon the throne, and the desire of his heart is that he would establish his kingdom in the city of Jerusalem. The desire of his heart is that he would also establish true worship again in the city of Jerusalem, and so he sends for the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, he goes and he brings back the Ark of the Covenant. And in doing so, this psalm was penned. 
It seems to be the general consensus that this was the time that this particular psalm was penned. As they make their way back to the city, as they take the Ark of the Covenant, as they take that which is the manifold uh, expression of the presence of God, the psalm is sung. And I want us to consider this psalm taken up, taken up with the King of glory. The first thing I want us to notice is the King and His world. The King and His world. You see, the opening two verses make reference to the earth being the Lord's. The people marched towards Jerusalem, bringing this ark back to its rightful place, and they rejoiced in their God. And as they do so, they describe in a number of ways the one who is their God. Verse 1, He's the Lord. He's the Lord. That word there, you'll see, is in capitals. And you know that when you see that in capitals, it's a reference to Jehovah. It's a reference to the covenant-keeping God of Israel. And as they are making their way back to the city and they're taking this ark with them, they're very conscious that this is the Lord's work. This is the Lord that they are referring to. This is the one who is the covenant-keeping God of Israel. They also describe Him in verses 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 as the King of glory. The King. Oh, they had just seen the pronouncement of David to be the king, to be the earthly monarch, to be the earthly king. But oh, they wanted their gaze and they wanted their praise to be in regards to the one who is the king of glory. Another title that's given here is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. He's the one who is in control. He is the one who is the Lord of hosts. And so, it's interesting that verse 1, the earth is the Lord's. You would think to listen to some people today that the earth belonged to the environmentalists or that somehow the earth belonged to some particular creed or to some particular country. Well, the psalmist David here says the earth is the Lord's. He's the creator. He is the one who has brought it into existence, as we'll see in a moment. We'll notice what the king possesses. What does the king possess? He possesses the earth. He possesses the earth. He is the owner. Turn with me. And we looked at this verse this morning in the Bible class. So apologies to those in the Bible class who I said had to endure me twice in the one day, and that's nearly enough for anybody. Turn to the book of Jeremiah. There's a lovely verse that I I read earlier on this week, the book of Jeremiah and the chapter 10. And in Jeremiah chapter 10, and let's read just from the verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 10 and the verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. And an everlasting king. As his wrath on the earth shall tremble, at his wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation, thus shall he say unto them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth, from under these heavens. And then verse 12 He hath made the earth by his power, he hath established the world by his wisdom, and stretched out the heavens by his discretion. Oh, praise God, today the world that you and I live in didn't come into existence as a result of a big bang millions of years ago. It came into existence because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom. Is that not the message that the Apostle Paul brought to those that he preached to in the great city of Athens. And we again made reference to that this morning in the Bible class in that portion of Scripture that we've been studying with our young people in Acts chapter 17. And I was just saying to the young people this morning, if you think of it, if you read the description of those that Paul was speaking to, they were the Epicureans, they were the Stoics, they were learned 
They were people of understanding. They were people of letters. They were people of knowledge. They were people of intellect. But when Paul comes to preach to them, his first sentence was very simple, God that made the world. Acts 17 and the verse 24, God that made the world and all things are in. We need to reaffirm that today. You know, because I do believe we live in an age when there are those who are prepared to go along with the, with the world when they listen to all that they hear in the media. It happened millions of years ago. And it happened as a result of, well, I was saying to the young people this morning, they've made this great discovery, this dust that they brought back from an expedition. It took them years to go and bring back black. And they are saying, you know, we might just have found the origin of life from black dust. Turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You don't need black dust. You need the black book. And it tells you in the beginning, God created the heavens. And we need to get back to believing that. We need to get back in proclaiming that. We need to get back in defending that. We need to get back and rejoicing in that. That the one who possesses this earth is the king. What the king possesses. But then secondly, who the king possesses. Because notice what David says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Now, this is getting very personal. This is getting down to you and me. This is not about the person who's beside you. This is not about the person who's behind you. This is not about the person who's in front of you. This is about you. It says, the Lord possesses those that dwell therein. The Bible's clear that all people are God's creation. You turn to that verse in Colossians, the book of Colossians and the chapter 1, the verse 16. The apostle Paul says, for by him, by Christ, by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things hold together. All things, and that includes you and me, and we go back into the Genesis record where there was a creation of Adam and Eve. Yes, all things all people were created by him. So we are his creatures. We are his creation. But only those who are redeemed by grace are his children. Or John the beloved said in John chapter 1 and the verse 12, but as many as received him to then give he the power or the right to become the sons of God. And the unregenerate in Scripture are never referred to as the sons of God. Rather, they're referred to as the children of wrath. And if you're in this meeting this morning and you're not saved, you've never come to know Christ as your own and personal Savior, then you by nature are still a child of wrath. But you're still God's creation. And you're still accountable to Him. Oh, we want a society now that wants to divulge itself of any responsibility or accountability to God. Don't bring God into their question. Don't mention God. Don't talk about faith. Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about those things. A man wants to live his life his own way, do his own thing, and so hope somehow that he's not going to be made accountable before God. But what does our Psalm say, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell? and I will stand accountable to him one day, the king and his world. But secondly, I want us to notice the king and his worship. Because in these verses, verses 3 
chapter 6. The king who is the creator desires to have the worship of his creatures. And as the Ark of the Covenant is being taken back to its rightful place, David is giving thought to those who will worship again in Jerusalem. And here this song reveals their, their approach to the king of glory. And you see, worship is something that God desires. See, I think sometimes we fall into the trap, the only reason why we're here is because we're free Presbyterians. Now, there's nothing wrong in that. We belong to the denomination and we come to worship in a free Presbyterian church, but the reason why we come is not because of the denomination. The reason why we come is because it's the desire of God that we would worship Him in accordance with His Word. Turn with me over to the words of the Savior in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, those very familiar words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he met this woman at the well, woman of Samaria, what do we read? It's in John chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For, and notice these words, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. What's the word worship mean? It, it simply means to revere, to honor, to give praise to. And God the Father desires that you and I would come together. God the Father desires that you and I would meet in the house of God. And the purpose of our coming together is that we might worship Him. We might give Him the honor. We might give Him the glory. We might give Him all the praise. the desire of the Father. And as David contemplated, as David contemplated those who would come to worship, he asked this question. There's a consideration that he makes in verse 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place. Oh, there's a question that ought to be upon our hearts every time we come through those doors, every time we come to the house of God, every time we come to the place of prayer, every time we bow our heads before the one who is the King of kings. It is this question, it's this consideration, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? We mentioned earlier that the Ark of the Covenant was a particular item of furniture that was given in the Old Testament, in the old economy, the Old Testament, in the instructions that God gave to Moses when he was building the temple or the, 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 the tabernacle. It eventually became the temple in Jerusalem. But turn to Exodus chapter 25 just to see the significance of this ark of the covenant. Exodus chapter 25. And notice in the verse 21. These were the instructions that were given to Moses. Exodus chapter 25 and the verse 21. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And notice these words. And there I will meet with him. Do you get what the Lord's saying to Moses? He's saying, if this ark is built in this way, here's a promise. And the promise is, I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from before the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. For over 50 years, that ark had been missing. And they had missed communing with their God. And more importantly, they had missed God communing with them. And you see, as David considered bringing back this ark and bringing it back to the city of Jerusalem and putting it into then into the tent that was made for it and eventually there would be made the, temp the temple for it to dwell in, he was very conscious of pondering this consideration, who shall ascend 
into the hill of the Lord. They're none of us. None of us worthy to come before the God who is the creator of this world today. None of us. The consideration. But also David had a consecration because notice what he says in verse 4. He gives the answer. He gives the answer to his consideration. He gives the answer to his question. He that has clean hands and a pure heart. He has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor swore deceitfully. Spurgeon, a great preacher of a bygone age, said of this verse, Outward practical holiness is a very precious mark of grace. It is to be feared that many professors have perverted the doctrine of justification by faith in such a way as to treat good works with contempt. If so, they will receive everlasting contempt at the last great day. In our hands, if our hands are not clean, let us wash them in Jesus' precious blood. And so let us lift up pure hands unto God. But clean hands will not suffice unless they are consecrated with a pure heart. True religion is heart work. We may wash in the outside of the cup and the platter as long as we please, but if the inward parts are filthy, we are filthy altogether in the sight of God, for our hearts are more truly ourselves than our hands are. The very life of our being lies in the inner nature, and hence the, the imperative need of purity within. The pure in heart shall see God. All others are blind bats. You see, David said it's as we come to worship this God who is the King of Kings, it's about our hands outward, about our heart inward. Wash me, O Lamb of God, wash me from sin. There's not one of us this morning but have to bow humbly before our God and say, oh, that the grace of God would reach us afresh, that he would cleanse us afresh in the precious blood, that he would grant to us those clean hands and that pure heart. And that in all our ways, we would be found to please him. Consideration, consecration. But there's also a reception here because notice what he says then in verse 5. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Do we want to receive a blessing from God? You know, we use that phrase. We use that phrase so often as we come, we, we talk about we want a blessing. Do we, really, do we really understand, and I'm not trying to say that you have less intelligence. You certainly have more than I have. I said to the young people this morning, I wasn't the brightest bulb in the box or I wasn't the sharpest pencil in the, in the case. But you know, we use these phrases. We talk about being blessed. What, what really do we mean? And here, here David says that the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, the one who ascends the hill of God, the one who worships in the presence of the King of kings, the one who comes and before this ark of the covenant that is a very public manifestation of the presence of God, the place where God has said, I'm going to commune with you. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to have a, a time of fellowship with you. David says that that's the person who will receive the blessing from God. We need to know God's blessing, God's favor, God's goodness, God's benevolence upon us. And isn't that not what we desire? Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that we would know the blessing of God in salvation. Oh, that we would know the blessing of God in sanctification. Oh, that we would know the blessing of God in every aspect of the work of God in this place, in our lives. We cannot take tomorrow for granted. We cannot take the next step for granted. But every step that we take, we desire that we would have the blessing of God. And here David says, here's, here's, how, here's how we'll know that blessing, the clean hands and the pure heart. Then also there's the supplication because verse 6 he says, this is a generation of them 
let's seek him. I was really interested to see that this blessing that's spoken of in verse 5 is connected with prayer. Connected with prayer. I want to ask you, child of God, I say this to my own heart, to my own shame, more than to anyone else in this congregation. When last did you pray? Now, I'm not saying when last did you say words. But when last did you earnestly seek the face of God in prayer? When did we come desiring to have those clean hands and that pure heart, not lifting up our soul unto vanity or swearing deceitfully? Because that's the person who received the blessing of God. This is a generation of them that seek Him. And notice what it says, and that seek thy face. The one who was to be manifested in their presence by the ark of the covenant that was in the midst. The king and his world. The king and his worship. But then finally, I want us to notice the king and his welcome. Because we find As David concludes this song of praise, as we have already said, he, he makes many references to names of the one to whom he's coming to worship, and he refers to him as the King of glory. The King of glory, the Lord of hosts. And there's, there's the thought here, as they enter in through the gates of Jerusalem, that the gates are ringing with praise because what had been absent for so long is now returning. And there was, there was jubilation here. There was joy here. And there ought to be joy when we come to the house of God. Oh, I know sometimes there are burdens that bear us down. There are times when the burden's heavy. There are times when it's difficult, when there's a trouble, when there's a trial, there are times when we come through those doors and there are burdens that no one else knows about. But David said, I joyed when to the house of God. He joyed because he knew that he was going into the presence of the one who could lift the burden, the one who could deal with the difficulty, the one who had promised to never leave us nor forsake us. There was a joy. There was a welcome the king. But you know, there was also not only a jubilation, but there was also an expectation because notice that little phrase in verse 7 and verse 9, it says at the end of verse 7, the king of glory shall come in. And then in verse 9, it says, the king of glory shall come in. You know, if if an earthly monarch was to be in this building today, we would have a sense of jubilation and expectation. We would desire to be in their presence. We might not agree with everything they say or do, but when our king was crowned, there was a sense of jubilation and joy in our nation. If we were to be here today, we would... I'm sure, want to be present. Is it not all the more when the one who's the king of glory has said, I'll commune with you. I'll meet with you. And we come as though it's just a matter of form. Just something we have to do. It's a social event. It's, it's, it's something we've just come to to, to do. No, oh, may that never be. And we enjoy, as we've said, we enjoy the fellowship of God's people in this place. But oh, let's all above all enjoy the presence of the one of whom David said, the king of glory shall come in. Jubilation, expectation. But I think in closing, there's also an anticipation here because these, these verses, as most of the Psalms do, have, have a prophetic nature to them. Now, I'm not going to go into the, the world of eschatology, a very dangerous place for someone like me who doesn't know 
enough about it, so I'm going to leave it to others. But I know this, I know this, that this psalm can also refer to two other occasions in the life of Christ, who is the greater David, the greater David. There was that occasion when the Savior left this earth and he went into to glory, and I believe that when he left this earth and he went into the presence of the Lord, there was a lifting up of the gates, there was a lifting up of the everlasting doors, and the King of glory was able to come in. The, who is this King of glory? Strong and mighty. Why? Because he had defeated Satan at the cross. He came with the blood of the everlasting covenant, and he presented it to the Father, and he was able to say, done, the work is complete. He was the victor. He won the crown. There's also coming an anticipation of another day. Another day when the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, will come in all his power and glory and he'll defeat every enemy that this old world has arrayed against him. And his feet will stand again upon the Mount of Olives in the city of Jerusalem. And praise God, every eye shall see him. And praise God, we'll be able to say, lift up ye gates, ye everlasting doors. Lift up those those gates, the King of glory, the one who's strong and mighty, the one who is strong and mighty, mighty in battle, he will reign forevermore. The question as we close this morning is this, is he your King? Does the one who is the king of glory reign supreme in your life? Does the one who is the king of glory reign supreme in my life? Take this psalm. Meditate upon it. It'll be a blessing to your heart. And may we be able to say as we come to the house of God every Lord's day and every time we meet, come in. Meet with us. Bless us. Be amongst us. Show us your mighty power. And we'll be able to say the King of glory. Mighty. Mighty is the King of glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that thou will take that which has been of thyself and apply it effectively to all our hearts. Delivered in weakness, loving Father, we pray that thy word will come to our souls today, not because of the speaker, but because of the moving of the Spirit of God. We pray and ask these things in the Savior's name. Amen. Amen. I'd said to her, Sister Sylvie that we weren't going to sing, but I think we'll just sing two verses of the hymn as we close. O worship the King, all glorious above. O gratefully sing His power and His love, our shield and defender. The ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. We'll just sing two verses and then we'll dismiss you. I'm not going to go to the door so that we'll have time for those that want to go to the funeral service this afternoon. <laughs> Heavenly Father, dismiss us now in thy fear and with thy favor. May the peace of God be the abiding portion of each of God's children. And for those that know not Christ, may this be the day when they'll come to 
accept thee as Lord and Savior and crown thee King of their lives. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. We pray these things in the Savior's name. Amen.